The Eco Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, jesters, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org. Hello, and welcome to the Eco Right Speaks, your climate change podcast produced by the team at RepublicEN.org. I'm your host, Chelsea Henderson, and I'm feeling a little more optimistic now that the days are getting longer. On Tuesdays, I do a 7 a.m. yoga and meditation class, and in the depths of January and early February, I have to say it was hard to get out of bed and do it, but the last two weeks, I've noticed that it's just getting lighter and lighter when my alarm goes off, and as a morning person, I love that. I think we're all ready for the promise of spring and brighter days. Speaking of brighter days, I'm thrilled that I was able to secure an interview with my featured guest, Dr. Joshua Rhodes, whom I serendipitously quoted in last week's episode. He joins me for a conversation about what went wrong in Texas during what we hope was a once-in-a-generation storm when power outages were rampant across the state. Listeners, you know I don't normally do this, but I'm going to read Dr. Rhodes' entire bio because I just want you to have a firm understanding of how impressive his qualifications are. Dr. Rhodes is a research associate at the University of Texas at Austin, and he's a founding partner of Ideas Smiths LLC. His current work is in the area of smart grid and the bulk electricity system, including spatial system level applications and impacts of energy efficiency, resource planning, distributed generation, and storage. He's also interested in policy and the impacts that good policy can have on the efficiency of the micro and macro economy. He's a regular contributor to Ford's and is an Axios expert voice. And I'm just going to note, we were his 75th media hit of the week, and we recorded on a Tuesday. <laughs> he sits on the boards of the Texas Solar Energy Society and Pecan Street, Inc., he also holds double major, double bachelors in mathematics and economics from Stephen F. Austin State University, a master's in computational mathematics from Texas A&M University, a master's in architectural engineering from the University of Texas at Austin, and a PhD in civil engineering from the University of Texas at Austin. I feel like a slacker. He enjoys mountain biking, rock climbing, and a good cup of coffee, and man, he sure deserves it after all of that. Before we get to Dr. Rhodes, I'm sharing with you a quick reflection from one of our spokespeople, Houston-based Sarah Steiff, on her experience during the storm as a residential solar user. Hi, my name is Sarah Steiff. My family and I live in North Harris County, and my husband and I have been interested in green technology for a really long time. When we moved down here from Indiana almost six years ago now, we started looking more seriously at solar panels just because it made more sense down in South Texas. We were going to have more sunshine. The sunshine lasted for longer. And with as much energy has been changing and the sector has been changing in Texas, we were interested to see what it would cost. It took us a long time to finally bite the bullet, but we did last October 
and we had 48 solar panels installed on our roof and we got three Tesla power walls. So we had 39 kilowatts or theoretically we have 39 kilowatts of electricity stored up in case of a power outage. We really thought we were going to be trying out the solar panels and giving them their first real test during hurricane season. We thought we were a year away from having any real test of our solar setup. And then Texas got hit with snow and ice last week. And when that happened, suddenly we were discovering just what they were and what they were not capable of doing. We held on to power for quite a while. Actually, we did not lose power until Wednesday night. And we had a friend who lost power earlier in the week. And he was staying with us because his power and his water were turned off. And so we held out for a long time. We were watching a lot of our friends post about different rolling blackouts and also just their power going out completely. Our power flashed off at one point, but we got it back. And when it went out Wednesday night, it was out for 17 hours. Our power walls at that point were completely full. We still weren't getting a whole lot of sunlight to our solar panels because they were covered in snow and ice. So some sunlight was getting through, but not a lot. But with the full power walls, we were able to stay fully powered for 17 hours. We minimized our electrical usage as much as possible. We told our kids they couldn't use any electronics unless absolutely necessary, which it wasn't really necessary. Um, we used it for our lights on occasion, for some cooking, and to keep the fans blowing on our gas furnace. So for that 17 hours, we were still okay. We still had lights, we still had heat. And when the power went back on, we were able to refill the power walls and get sunlight. And we stayed fully functional through a storm that was devastating a lot of people that we know. It wasn't a perfect solution. It's not a perfect solution. We knew that just because we discovered that with the snow, there wasn't a whole lot we could do about any sunlight that was coming through. But it did help us and it did keep our heat on, which was something that a lot of people didn't have. It became increasingly frustrating to see a lot of our elected officials talking about how bad green energy is and how that was at fault for everything that was happening because that was keeping our lights on. Green energy was keeping our lights on. We've driven a lot in West Texas since we moved down here from Indiana, and we've seen the wind turbines in fields right next to oil rigs. And we've seen the mix of a multifaceted energy sector, and we know what it's capable of. And we've been excited to see the transition to green energy throughout Texas. And it's something that we should continue to explore and it's something that we shouldn't be afraid of. Uh, I've told several friends that really the solar was what got us through a storm. We don't know how long it would have lasted and how well we would have done had we gone longer without power, but we know that it gave us a reprieve that we needed and would have given us a chance to keep the lights on for even a little bit longer. And it's something that we need to continue pushing for and something we need to continue exploring because 
there's a lot of potential there. And a lot of people could have kept their electricity and could have been saved a lot of heartache if it was affordable and if it was more possible and if it was encouraged by our elected officials instead of treated like this evil that was hurting the entire state. And now my conversation with Dr. Rhodes. So listeners, welcome back. Thanks for tuning in. As promised, I have Dr. Joshua Rhodes with me, and we're going to talk about grid resiliency in Texas and all the crazy things that happened in that storm a few weeks ago. Thanks so much for joining us, Dr. Rhodes. Yeah, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. So you are living in Texas. You experienced this storm yourself. Um, I thought it might be good for our listeners who come from all over the U.S., to just hear a little bit about what makes Texas and the Texas grid different from other regions. And then we'll, we'll answer that question first and then we'll get a little bit into the specifics of what happened in the storm. Yeah, so, so Texas is a bit unique from other states and that other states in, in the lower 48 states anyways have grids that are connected to other regions. And so there's basically three grids in the US. There's the Eastern Interconnect, which is from the Eastern Seaboard to the Rockies. And then there's the Western um, interconnect, which is basically the Rockies to California, and then there's Texas. And so ERCOT, which is, a, is something I'll throw around, which is the Electric Reliability Council of Texas, is the, um, or it's, it's the name of the grid, and that, and the name of, and the, or the organization, ERCOT, is the organization that oversees the, uh, the Texas grid. And so it serves about 90% of Texas, and of the, for those that are in um, the ERCOT service territory, I think mean, all the electricity they consume essentially is generated in the same in the same area. And so it's it's separate from others. It has some very weak ties to other grids, but they're but it's mainly basically an island of electricity. So when they don't have their supply, they don't have other people's supply to tap into. Correct. Yeah. If if we don't have enough power plants to meet our supply, then what happens is what happens when we, we have we have a blackout because we, we're not able to import meaningful amounts of power from other regions. So going to the storm that Texas, Texas experienced, actually, I quoted you in our last <laughs> episode, and I didn't know it was you at the time or that you were going to be a guest on the show, but um, about your the quote about all 254 counties being under a winter storm warning. Has right. that ever happened before? Not that I can tell. I mean, we've, we get cold weather every once in a while, but usually it only lasts for a few hours at a time. And honestly, by the next day, it's sunny and 60 degrees outside. I mean, that's just generally how te winter weather goes in Texas. Um, but yeah, I've just, I've never, we've never had a, a season where, you know, every county from up in the Amarillo to the Panhandle down to Laredo at the border is, um, is under a winter storm at the same time. It just, that, that doesn't happen. And so it just put more stress in the system than you know, it's really designed to, to handle. I mean, I live in Maryland, in the DC part of Maryland. And I think because we're a smaller state, it would not be unusual for everyone to be under the same warning. Right. But I think of the, just the size of the state of Texas. Um, and then when you were saying that about winter, so Instagram reminded me yesterday 
that I was in San Antonio a year ago with my son for admitted students day at Trinity university. And it was 75 and the sky was blue and right. sunny. And <laughs> that was probably the last real thing I did before COVID hit. So a little yeah. bittersweet, but um, let's go back to um, when the storm. So you have the storm warning and mm-hmm. all the counties are under the advisory. Did you have some inkling at that time that there w- w- would be stresses on the grid? Yeah, I mean, I think we all kind of knew when we saw the weather forecast, kind of the seven day weather forecast, um, because it it was showing, you know, Texas in the single digits. And that just doesn't that doesn't happen. Um, And I at that point, but to take a step back is like sometimes we get forecasts like that. And most people just kind of laugh them off because over time. It, the temperature goes up, temperature goes up, temperature goes up, you know, seven days ago, it said it was gonna be 10 degrees. It's in the high thirties or whatever. It just, that's kind of like, it always go. That's kind of how it always goes. But this one was different because the closer we got, the colder the temperatures got, they went opposite direction than, than we normally thought. So by the time it was three day, three or four days out, like I knew, I knew something was going, was going to go bad. Um, but I mean, honestly, at that point, there's really nothing one can do because, you know, it takes years to build power plants or infrastructure or, or do stuff. And we're, we're kind of we were stuck with a system we had at that point, And we just had to make best with with what we had. Right. There wasn't like an emergency switch somebody could have flipped that would have made things OK. No, every single power plant we had was, you know, was was getting ready to be able to, to be on at that point. And there was there was there was no auxiliary switch to slip flip on. So what what was it about the infrastructure in Texas mm-hmm. that made that limited the supply? Yeah, so that's a great question because like we normally the grid normally serves these types of loads in summer all the time. Like the 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 amount of electricity that we were generate that we were demanding from the system was not that much, you know, off of what our summer peaks are. Which you probably in the summer it's air conditioning. Right, exactly. And, and our whole system is set up for air conditioning. We're set up for 4 p.m. on August when it's 105 degrees outside, and every single air conditioner in the state's running. The difference between then and now, or what, what happened in Texas, is that at the same time that we're demanding so much electricity, we're also demanding a, a lot of natural gas for heating. So about 60% of homes in Texas use electricity for heating, about 40% use natural gas. And with all of that, and, but about 50% of our power plants also consume natural gas. And so we had this massive pull from not only in the summer, it's just all the power plants pulling the natural gas. But this time it was homes, businesses and power plants pulling natural gas. And for the kicker on that is it got so cold that our wells out in West Texas froze and we were not able to put more natural gas onto the system. So at the same time, we have a we have a a collapse of supply and we have like an inflation of demand. We just ran out in the system. And we happened, what, we, what happens in that case is we call it depressurization of the natural gas system, meaning we can't deliver natural gas to power plants at the pressure that they're required to get. Because they, they need gas delivered at a certain pressure in order to operate. It's kind of like if the fuel pump is going out in your car and it can't move gasoline from your tank to your engine at the right pressure, your engine is not going to run. That's basically what happened. And then to keep it, just to keep piling on us, we had a bunch of different... Um, power plants had icing issues. We had some wind turbines that had got ice on their blades and weren't able to, weren't able to spin. We had some water intake facilities or water, some cooling water facilities at other natural gas, at coal, at nuclear facilities that throws. And so when it all was said and done, you know, we were only getting about half the wind we thought we were going to get. And we were, but we were down about 30 to 40% of our thermal 
power fleet. So our gas, our coal, and our nuclear. At the same at the same time as we have record demand, and so the way the electricity systems work is you have to keep them in perfect. So you have to keep them in perfect balance. Supply has to equal demand at every instance, um, at every instance of operation. Because if they get out of balance, the whole thing will come down. And if the whole thing comes down, it takes weeks, if not months, to get back up. Yeah, and so, that point, because I yeah. had read that some of the grid operators mentioned that they said that mm-hmm. right that if they had not started to um, do the rolling blackouts that I think ended up being permanent blackouts because there right. wasn't as much yeah. of the rolling nature to them that if they hadn't kind of pulled the trigger on making that decision when they did that they mm-hmm. if they had waited even minutes later I read then the whole system would have been down for months and I have a really yeah. hard time wrapping my head around why that is yeah no and it's a great question I think it's it's because you know, a power plant's not like a car where you can go out and just turn a key and it, and it starts and comes back on. These are massive machines. And if a power plant goes down, it actually, for some of the, particularly the big ones, the big nuclear units, the big coal units, the big natural gas units, they actually have to pull electricity from the grid to restart them because they have to get their cooling water systems going, they have to get their turbines spinning, they have to basically, they have to almost get to full operation, pulling electricity from the grid before they can start running on their own fuel and then kick electricity back out. And so the problem is, is that if every power plant goes down, you basically almost have to start them one by one. You have to start one, because there are some that we have what we call black start capability. They are able to start like a car, but not everyone does, and they're usually smaller. And so you'd have to start a few, somehow send that electricity to a big one, get it up and running, which might take six or seven hours, then start it and then move the electricity. And so you basically, it's basically would be going and restarting all of these things. And the kicker is the, the, the thing that makes it even harder is usually we control the, like, the transmission grid electronically. Well, we knew it. we can turn switches off and on remotely. But you didn't have power. <laughs> we didn't have power. So you'd have to physically send people in trucks to these different parts of the grid, shut off this part of the grid and like make the wire just go from one power plant to the next. And so it is just a massive, massive, like slow process because you also don't want to start fires. You don't want to electrocute people. people. You don't want to do all of these things. And Every grid operator has a plan for how to do this. No one ever wants to do it because it is, I mean, it would be, I mean, I lost power for 40 hours and it was terrible, but if we lost it for three weeks like or a month, like, I don't know how do you work in, in that situation right. or I do mean, anything. That, that, when I read that and I thought about the, the scale of that, right, you're talking about the largest state in the mm-hmm. contiguous states, you're talking about the second most populous state of the United States of America, yeah. not having power for months. That just really blew my mind. But what I think I'm hearing you say, so early, early when the blackouts first started mm-hmm. happening, we saw some people blaming renewable energy. And I mm-hmm. even read some people were blaming the Green New Deal, which to me is just a piece of paper, right? It doesn't, it's a piece of paper. Well, it was not renewable yeah. energy's fault, what happened right. in Texas. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, and I mean, to be fair, like, you know, we were expecting a certain amount from from our wind turbines, like during during this event. And we got you know, we didn't get as much. Um, We were down a few thousand megawatts from our from our wind, but we were down tens of thousands of megawatts from our from our thermal fleet. And so, you know, every bit of electricity sure would have helped. But even if every single one of our wind turbines had been running at full strength, like it still wouldn't have been enough to keep the grid on with everything else that, you know, went down. 
So this is, it sounds anyway, like it's a once in a generation type of storm event situation, mm. hopefully, right? With climate change, who knows, we will get right. more storms frequently, um, more bigger storms more frequently with climate change. What does Texas do now in terms of building resiliency moving forward? And then what lessons should the rest of the country be taking from this? Yeah, no, I mean, that's a, that's a great question. And I, and I like to think of this lesson on, on, on two different timescales. Is one's like, what, what can we do to make sure this doesn't happen again to us in the short term? Because, I mean, honestly, if we got another storm like this in two weeks, the exact same thing would happen. There's like, there's nothing you can do like in that short a time scale. And so we need to start now, today, um, figuring out, I think in the short term, how do we harden our natural gas infrastructure? Because we, we need to deliver heat and we need to deliver those, you know, those power plants uh, need to stay online. How do we winterize them so that they don't, they don't freeze up and are able to produce if they have fuel? Um, you know, and then I think long-term, you know, we need to be planning better. I mean, this, I mean, the grid operator does plan for winter events. We, um, but this is so far beyond like what we've ever seen in the past, you know, and, and that's what we've always built infrastructure is we've looked to the past to tell us what the future will look like. But with things like climate change, it's not clear that the past is necessarily going to be the same as the future. And that's hard because it's easier to plan for the future if you're relying on the past, but if you can't rely on the past, how do you predict the future? And so, I think we are going to we're going to have to make some informed decisions and 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 estimates and guesses and we're not going to get it right because you know that we're, we're not perfect but I mean obviously you know we didn't think this could happen and yet it did <laughs> and so like it you know we're here like we can't we can't let millions and millions of Texans go without power for four days straight during the coldest you know months that just that's unacceptable yeah for sure so you know I you know, living on the, on the Northeast and the Northeast on the East coast, mm -hmm. as I do, um, you know, we're used to having obviously colder winters and, you know, I've definitely lost power before in a snowstorm. And I almost just feel like we expected a little, anytime I see, mm -hmm. we've had three weekends in a row of ice storms, which is a mm -hmm. little unusual. And of course, a little extra annoying because, we're all in confinement anyway. And so then to have right. the ice storms, you can't even get outside and take a walk, blah, blah, blah. But um, I always anticipate, right. The power could go mm -hmm. out because, you know, even that thin little layer of ice um, mm -hmm. coating everything. So I start powering up my devices. I think about what's in my freezer. If the power goes out, what do I have? Cause I have gas um, stove, mm -hmm. so I can always cook, but I feel like maybe Texans aren't really culturally geared to think about winter that way. Yeah, we're we're really not. And like I and as as I've talked to some folks this past week, I would I, I would say you know how do you how do you think it would fare where you are if you had a hundred days in a row where it got over a hundred degrees? Like that's what that's what we're ready for here, and we have the infrastructure built to do that. Um, but yeah, and and that's where our mindset goes um, is when we're planning for things. And so yes, we did. I mean, individuals could have you know it been. If we had taken, um, you know, having having you know uh, you know coats and blankets and the you know the ability to, you know, I mean, all of us have you know we don't have snow tires like we don't have four wheel drive cars like we don't even my have brother's snow plows. friends don't have winter coats. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, or winter coats or any anything yeah. like that. I mean, yeah. and so 
yeah, we, I think we need to do a better job of, of being, of being prepared. Um, but we, you know, we need also be helped out on that because like, we don't, we've never had to do it before. So we need, we need, edu- we need to educate people like how, how they can be better prepared. So just thinking about this, the plan moving forward, and you said you'll get some things right and some things wrong. Mm-hmm. Do you think there needs to be a commission, a study, something to look at it, or do you know what needs to be done? And it's just a matter of making the financial investments. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, it, we have to decide, like, if, if we want to plan for events like this, it's like buying more insurance. Like we, if you buy insurance for things you hope will never happen, like right. your house burning down or you getting extremely sick. Right. Um, we need to figure out how much insurance are we willing to buy? Um, and what are we willing to, to pay for? And I, and, you know, Texas is, is interesting in terms of like, we have different regulators for different sectors. So the Public Utility Commission regulates electricity, the Railroad Commission, which by twist of name does not regulate railroads, they regulate oil and gas. The environment, right? Or yeah. uh, oil and gas. Uh, they regulate oil and gas. But, you know, this, this was kind of a failure of both of those things and they're interrelated. And so we've got to figure out how do we bridge like even the policymaking gap between, between these two, because both of them will have to work together because it doesn't matter. We could have had double the amount of power plants we have in Texas. If you don't have the fuel to get to them, what good are they? Right. And so, or we could have had plenty of fuel, but if they're all frozen up, what do you do in a, so it's, we gotta, we have to work together more holistically. And that involves getting a lot of people, a lot of different people in the room. And that's hard, but we're going to have to, again, because we can't have this many millions of people go without power. For sure. If our listeners wanted to read more, uh, maybe dig in a little bit deeper, is there any website report you've worked on, anything like that, that we could point them to? Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll send you some links. I, I've written a few things about it as, as the storm was coming. And then we've got, so through some of the work I do at the University of Texas, we look at the electricity grid. Um, we model it under, you know, uh, um, uh, stressing scenarios. I'll be honest, even but even we didn't model something this intense. So it's like, um, you know, so we will be, you know, updating our models and trying to figure out, you know, how do we, how do we do that better? But um, yeah, I'm happy to provide that. Great. Well, we'll definitely link to those in our show notes. And I'm really hoping that Texas is clear and free for the rest of the winter. My son picked Texas for school because he had some very specific require, requirements. And one of them was that he didn't want to go someplace that had winter weather. And so like, <laughs> what is this mom? And also nobody has coats or gloves. Or, right. And he wasn't even going to bring his coat. He was going to leave it in the car, but it was really cold here when he got on the yeah. flight. He's like, oh, I'll just bring it with me. Anyway, I hope that everything stays more Texas normal from here on yeah. out. Thank and you. Me too. Really appreciate your coming on last minute and giving us the lowdown. And I look forward to reading more of your work and wish you all the best. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. We're energy optimists and climate realists. Stand with us at republicen.org. Now back to this week's episode. And listeners, To conclude this Texas-themed episode, I wanted to leave you with the words of one of our super volunteers. He was also an early season one podcast guest, Larry Howe. As a lifelong Texan, the week beginning February 14th was definitely unprecedented. While continuing to navigate the human and economic disasters of the pandemic, we got walloped with extreme winter weather that resulted in widespread power outages leading to wider spread water outages, leading to food shortages. 
For us at our specific location, we were extremely fortunate. We lost neither power nor water, not because of anything we had done, but by just plain luck. Our extended family in other parts of the state managed okay through those rotating power outages at their various locations. However, for millions of Texans, it has been an unmanageable hardship. I guess we have found the downside to the current design of our Texas electricity market. It works great until it doesn't, and then it fails catastrophically. While some have blamed windmills and our grid operator, ERCOT, we have to face the reality that planning for extreme weather events is only going to get more challenging with our changing climate. We need to come together as Texans to set aside partisan political positioning to use efficient market-based policies to accelerate our transition to cleaner, zero-emissions energy sources much sooner rather than later. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Eco Right Speaks podcast, brought to you by the team at RepublicEN.org. Make sure to visit RepublicEN.org to learn more and find out how you can be a local eco-right leader.